Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. A number of years ago, I ran across something that I had never heard of before. Now, probably I'm doing that a lot, and you are too. One of this thing that I found, there is a medical facility, the Ramsey Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and there they have a tear expert. A tear expert. It's a man, not a woman, too. That surprised me. No, just kidding. This guy studies tears. He studies tears. He says there are two types of tears. One of them is called reflex tears. When you are afraid or when you are in pain, if you cry, those tears right at that moment, about 98% water. But he calls the other set emotional tears. When we experience loss, when we are lost, when we have an emotional traumatic situation, the tears that come there also have stress hormones coming out in the tears. They also, in those tears, have toxins that are leaving the body. His conclusion is that tears in those situations are for the purpose of aiding the healing process. Getting out of the body the things, the toxins that are poisoning us because of the emotion of the situation. I think that's a fascinating concept. He then went on to say, all creatures cry in some way, but only humans have emotional tears. I want us today to think about crying. Sounds like an odd thing to think about. I want us to notice at least three times in Scripture when Jesus cried, there may be others, and one of those I think is more of a, a firm implication. But then tonight I want us to learn, having studied these things, I want us to talk about how to cry like Jesus did. But for just a few minutes, notice with me the times that Jesus wept. It didn't come out planned this way, but this past week in our Explorers Bible studies upstairs, they had a, a, a very obvious lesson in crying. If you haven't heard about it, talk to one of those kids from kindergarten through fifth grade. Let them tell you about what they learned about crying and grief and weeping upstairs. You ask them and you will get a fascinating story that just captivated all of those kids. 
for our purposes, I want to invite you to go with me to Scripture together. Because we're going to spend just a few minutes, there's far more that we could do, just a few minutes in these texts where Jesus wept. The first we begin, John 11. You know the passage, don't you? Verse 35. Because if ever you were required in little class Bible school to say a memory verse, you wanted to be the first one so you could say, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible in English, not in Greek. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice evermore, verse 17. That's the shortest word, verse in the Greek New Testament. But in our English, Jesus wept. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept because of unbelief. I would encourage you when you have more time, go back and study these more in depth concerning this. Notice the unbelief that was all around this situation. Chapter 11 opens and the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus and said, the one whom you love is sick and he's going to die. Will you come? And of course, they wanted him, we think, to heal him so he wouldn't die. That makes sense. But the Bible says, verse 4, this sickness is not for the purpose of death. It's for the purpose of giving glory to God. From John chapter 2 and verse 11, Jesus performed all of his miracles for the purpose of people seeing his glory as the Son of God. Now this unbelief that's all around him is because they did not see that glory. You'll want to look at what happens in this text. Verse 6, he waited two more days instead of going immediately. When he did go the disciples said, wait a minute, they're going to kill you there. Why are you going? Verse 9, we've got to keep working. That's what I do. Verse 11, he's just asleep. I'm going to wake him up. Verse 12, if he's sleeping, he'll get well. Don't go down there. They're going to kill you. He said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Thomas said, let's go down there and die with him. His own disciples still did not get it. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. They thought he was going there and he was going to be killed, not raise Lazarus from the dead. When he got down there, Martha met him and said, if you had been here, you wouldn't die. Well, don't you still believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe everything that you tell me. Whatever you say, I believe. Don't you think I can raise him? Look at verse 24. I do believe, verse 25, Jesus said, oh, I'm not talking about the end of the resurrection at the end of time. That's what she thought. He's going to be raised up at the last day. Jesus said, I'm talking about something totally different. When he goes to the tomb, he met Mary there. And Mary was one who also said, you know, you could have been here. You could have saved him. Well, don't you think you still can? When he gets to the tomb and all of those people are sobbing and crying, 
I think Jesus identified with them. Humanly, he identified with these people who were grieving, who were in mourning. But he was also upset because they didn't get it. You see, this happens at the end of his life. Three years he's been among these people. And they did not get it. In fact, verse 48 after he raised Lazarus, that was the signal for the people to plan to kill Jesus. Not only that, if you go down to verse 9 of chapter 12, they also plotted to kill Lazarus after Jesus had just raised him from the dead. Jesus cried because of all of the unbelief that was around him, and he grieved. Look at the text read for us in Luke 19. Following the event of Lazarus, very shortly he made his journey on to Jerusalem like he intended. In verse 41, the text says that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Verse 42 says, because there was no peace. Jesus cried because there was no peace for the people of the city of Jerusalem. And he wept. He wanted them to have peace. They could have had it, but it was hidden from them. They didn't know that they could have peace. They didn't buy into it. They were a people without peace. And Jesus knew that the city of Jerusalem was in its last days. Very soon, within 40 years, they would be ransacked as a Jewish people. Verse 45, he goes into the city, and there's no peace because these people are abusing the worship of the own, their own law that they were living by. They were buying and selling and making money in the temple. And he overthrew them. If, in fact, this happened at the end of his life, it appears there was another one early on. He did it twice, maybe. And these people had no peace because they abused their worship. These people had no peace, verse 20, or chapter 20, because they rejected Jesus as the authority. We're not going to listen to you. We don't care about you. We're not on your side. And the leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees put their plot into motion. They did not have peace. The people were there. The people were more on his side than the leaders were. They didn't have peace because the leaders were working against the people. Many of the people were still following Jesus, but the leaders wanted to kill him. And Jesus cried because there was no peace. Mark chapter 14 
This is the text that you know well. The Bible says in verse 32, or verse 33, that he took Peter, James, and John to that garden before he was arrested. And the Bible says that he was troubled and deeply distressed. There's no specific mention of crying here, but he was in deep sorrow for sure. So much so that the text goes on to say that his sorrow was so great that when he sweat, there was blood mingled with his sweat from the pressure of the capillaries in his brow. And he was upset because of being forsaken and left alone. He took his disciples with him, sat them over here and said, I'm going to go over there and pray. Watch with me. Be on my side. Be my support. He came back and he found that they were asleep. Wake up. He went away again. He came back a second time and they are asleep. Could you not watch with me for just one hour? And he went away. And he came back a third time and they were asleep again. He was forsaken by his closest associates in the hour of his greatest need. An army appeared from these leaders who wanted to kill him. And from that army, one of his own, Judas Iscariot, went up to him and kissed him on the cheek. This is the one, take him. Forsaken, betrayed by one of his own. Verse 50. As the army took him away, everybody fled. Forsaken, nobody with him. And then we hear those haunting words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt alone, humanly. And Jesus cried because he was forsaken. He cries over the same things that cause many of us to cry. But guess what? We cry over the same things that he cried over too. Has there ever been a time in your life when somebody didn't believe in you anymore? When they didn't trust you? They felt like they were betrayed or they betrayed you? Did you cry? 
Has there ever been a time in your life when you couldn't find any peace, no matter where you turned or what you did? It was always chaotic and there was turmoil. Did you cry? Have you ever been alone? Left? Forsaken? Seemingly with no friend? Did you cry? Jesus cried. We cry. But when we cry, God wants us to know one thing. God collects our tears. Psalm 56, verse 8. David said, You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That verse just fascinates me. Does God have a book where he records all of the times that we cry? Does God have a bottle where he collects the tears that we cry? Surely if he knows how many hairs or on my head at every moment of my day, then he could collect my tears. David wrote this psalm because back in verse 1, man would swallow me up. Life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like life is just going to come in and swallow me up and I'm going to cease to exist. Sometimes it's so bad that people actually want that to happen. David was let down by so many people. His enemies were after him. In verse 5... He says, they do everything they can to try to stop me. They twist my words. Their thoughts are against me. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. They lie in wait for my life. Sometimes it seems like life just caves in. And David said, but you collect my tears. God wants you to know that he has your tears. And he has your tears because two things he knows about us that sometimes we forget. Number one, flesh can do nothing to us. That's what the text says. In fact, a couple of times, verse 4 is one of them. Flesh, what can flesh do to me. In other words, really, 
What can happen? Can they do anything? Reminds me of what Jesus said. Don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but cannot touch the soul. But fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What can flesh do to me? Nothing. No matter how bad this life gets, no matter how tough it is, no matter how awful it seems, no matter how swallowed up you feel, if you are a child of God, they can't take away that relationship. No matter how bad it feels. But then there is this other little phrase, four little words in verse number nine. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. God is for me. He's on my side. God is on our side. And he collects every tear that his children cry. I also think that's fascinating when I think about parent and child. Go back and your memory books. Do you have little mementos of your life with your children when they were young and as they grew? I don't know what else. I haven't looked at it. I don't know what else the Bible says God collects of us. I don't know. I know He hears prayers like incense. But right now, the only thing I know that he collects in a memory book between a father and his children is the tears that we cry. Now, that's not a downer. That's a positive to say. Whenever we hurt, whenever we have problems, as Jesus cried here, God, cried, God collects the tears when we cry here. But there is real purpose behind crying. And I want to cry like Jesus did. I don't want to cry because my favorite character on some television show was killed off. I don't want to cry over that. I don't want to cry over a team that loses a game that I really wanted them to win. I don't want to cry when something bad happens to me that really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. I want to cry like Jesus did. Really understand what it means. And tonight, we're going to consider that. But as we close, if you need for us to understand your life better, as God's already collecting your tears, uh, we'll cry with you too. If you need us as a family of God 
some people here are crying over those who have yet to accept Jesus as the Lord of their lives. Never having submitted in baptism. Never having decided to be a child of God. Somebody's crying over you. Today, you can make those tears be tears of joy. If you need, will you come as we stand and sing? We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.